Welcome to All Cats Are Gray in the Dark. I'm your host, April Simmons. This podcast contains true cases of graphic violent crimes and other stories of a dark nature. Please be advised that due to the subject matter and violent, sometimes sexual content and obscene language, this podcast is not for children or the faint of heart. Come Hey, everybody. Sabrina's hosting this week. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Just and go on and apologize too. now. Yeah. And next week, too, because this is a two-parter. Two-parter. Poltergeist Extreme. Yeah, we're going to discuss cases of poltergeist. It's going to be hella fun and scary. I don't know where that song came from, but whatever. I, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to... Uh, just a side note, Justin and I were talking this week, I, you know, random thoughts when I'm trying to go to bed. I was just like, we should have like a plan for what we'll do to each other if one of us dies before the other. Like if, if, if ghosts are real, we can haunt each other. Let's have a plan in place. <laughs> so we'd like discuss like what we would throw off of shelves so that we would know it was each other. He's like, so I think we decided anything with like having to do with ghosts is what we're going to toss off the shelf. He's like Patrick Swayze, Swayze movie off the shelf. Um, <laughs> I'm like I'm Christmas Carol off the shelf. <laughs> so. I'm just going to fart everywhere you go. <laughs> You'll be like, oh, what is that? Oh, it's my sister. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. No, you'll smell pickles. That yeah, that would be more realistic. <laughs> I'm gonna make sure you smell pickles everywhere you go, man. You're gonna kill my like n- n- my smelling abilities. I forgot what the technical term for that is. <laughs> Almost spit out my face. <laughs> my smelling abilities have been taken. Kill my smeller. Um. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we need to get going because we got limited time today to record. <laughs> yep. So yeah, we're going to talk about the Herman House, which is what inspired the movie Poltergeist, which I actually didn't know that Poltergeist was inspired by something. I honestly just wanted to do an episode on Poltergeist because I love the movie Poltergeist, and I was like, what is real? Granted, obviously, it's way more embellished and crazy in the movie, um, but it's still cool to me that it was real. So, all right. The Herman House. So on the evening of February 3rd, 1958, a man named James Herman from Seaford, 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 uh, Long Island, New York, received a telephone call at work from his wife, Lucille. She informed him that she and her teenage daughter, uh, teenage children, Jimmy and Lucy, heard a series of popping sounds coming from various spots around the house. When they investigated, they found uncapped bottles of several substances completely upended in many different rooms, inclo- including a vial of holy water, which spilled all over a bedroom dresser. I'm not going to really try to understand why they have a vial of holy water just sitting in the room, but all right. 
Uh, Herman, skeptical of the whole thing, advised his family to stay calm and to keep the occurrences to themselves. He believed some prankster teenagers got inside and tried to spook the family. It was important to him to keep things under control. But five days later, the same thing happened again. And the next day, it happened again. This time, Mr. Herman watched in horror as bottles moved about his bathroom as if dragged by some unseen hand. This time, he called the police. When the police arrived, more bottles began popping throughout the home. They performed a series of tests to rule out radio transmissions or electrical disturbances, but the bottles were not warm or otherwise charged. Whatever was happening to them could not be explained with logic. On February 17th, a priest came to the home to bless it. Wow. I just gotta say, though, like, that, to me, it's so strange that, to me, it's creepier than what happened in the movie, because the what happened in the movie is so over-exaggerated. Yeah. That the fact that, the, the fact that it's mostly bottles affected, like, it's just strange <laughs> to me. What a boring-ass poltergeist. Like, but it's so strange, spraying though. some shampoo in your eye. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what I imagine. <laughs> anyway, news of the activity at the Herman House spread like wildfire and was the subject of an article in Life magazine. People, Which wrote- I wanted to say, like, I I thought, like, the only place I could find that, that Life magazine article was, like, scans from the 50s. And I was way too lazy to retype any of that or take any excerpts for this discussion so i'm like sorry guys just go look it up it's called like the house of flying objects (laughs) people wrote the herman's letters offering potential reasonable explanations while others believed the activity to be the results of poltergeists whatever the case more activity occurred and officers even witnessed the moving of objects this time to make matters all the more unusual the herman house was not your typical haunted house it was a suburban model purchased new in 1953 the hermans were the only people who'd ever lived there there was nothing to indicate the unfinished business of some previous tenant so why did this seem like an otherwise traditional haunting that's what dr r dr jb ryan director of Duke University's parapsychology lab, hoped to find out he approached the Hermans after about a month of disturbances. Ryan believed that the presence of the teenage Herman children might have attracted the poltergeist activity. Adolescents are usually present in the home where poltergeist activity takes place, and we've seen that in our own research. Yeah. Um, He brought some of his colleagues to the house, and they studied it, interviewing the family and recording some of the mysterious occurrences. However, shortly after their arrival, the activity ceased. All in all, there were about 70 documented reports of unusual activities in the house from February 3rd and March 10th. Uh, The family eventually moved away. Years later, daughter Lucille appeared in a documentary, Real Fear, the Truth Behind the Movies, which aired on the Chiller Network. Another home that was the subject of the same documentary, the notorious Amityville Horror House, is only about seven miles away. I did not realize that. I didn't know that either, and I found that really interesting. Yeah. Um, But just the fact that this all happened over just like the course of the months, and it's just like, blam, 70 reports. Uh, it's just crazy. Uh, and I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't add too much to this because it really isn't a super like detailed story but definitely the lucille was kind of like i'm over this like i'm tired of talking about it and she had never seen the movie which i found interesting (laughs) 
anyway, um, so just kind of this this section is just really about how it compares. But uh, fans of the 1982 Toby Hooper directed Steven Spielberg produced horror film Poltergeist will re- recognize the Herman story. It sounds familiar to what the Freeling family goes through. A young, happy family moves into a new suburban home with their children and quickly notices disturbances, noises, bent utensils, objects moving about. When the activity increases, they seek help from a local university's parapsychology department who come to investigate the house, eventually fed up with the lack of resolution and the appearance of their daughter. (laughs) They seek out a psychic to cleanse the house. Obviously, (laughs) Obviously, Poltergeist is more sensationalized than the story of the Hermans. There are physical apparitions, Native American burial burial grounds, body-chomping portals, and skeletons popping out of the swimming pool. The film is also said to be cursed. Stars Dominique Dunn and Heather O'Rourke both passed away very young and other mysterious activity was reported on set. We can't speak to the truth of the curse, but it's definitely a story that follows Poltergeist more than that of the Hermans. The real people, (laughs) the real people who loosely inspired the film. Um, And this is just a quote from Lucy Herman. I never saw Poltergeist. Um, I felt I had my own nightmare. So I found that really interesting that she's like, no, thanks. I have enough of that. I don't need to see it on TV. I guess I can't blame her on that because it's pretty messed up. But yeah, but yeah, I just think it's interesting the the extreme differences between the movie and what actually happened, which is to be expected. Just like you know, all the the Ed and Lorraine stuff and the differences in those stories too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really yeah. do feel like stuff happened, but I do feel like Ed and Lorraine really dramatized everything. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when they told the stories, I was, yeah. And then it's yeah. further dramatized when they made it into movies. And it's like, I don't, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and with, and this one too, like with the way this is, you know, like they really don't have any idea what happened. It was a brand new house. The fact that Amityville's not that far from them, it really makes you think what's wrong with this area. I think it is a location-based situation, not a, necessarily just a home. Yeah. Obviously, Amityville started with that was a whole murder, like some like one of the what the son one of the sons like murdered the, the whole family, whole family and, then, yeah. and then they supposedly haunted. But what if some of that came from this area just having shitty vibes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did want to say there was other stuff to do with the film having cursed problems too. I know Zelda said, be- believed it was part of the curse. I think she got the call while they were filming that her sister had died or something. Um, there's all kinds of other stuff. But Heather O'Rourke, I believe, she had um, she had some kind of mysterious illness. that she Yeah, I think she was her. having surgery on something like a hernia or something super mundane like that. And then died during surgery. I think that's what happened to her. I believe it was some type of bowel issue. Yeah, yes. Um, but Hernia, bowel problem, you know. But it was, she had gained a bunch of weight. Um, but yeah, it. the only one of the kids that is still alive is the, the boy. Yeah. So I'm like, what did he do to keep from... Yeah, it's just crazy, but 
Um, and I always forget the guy that played Coach is in that movie. Yeah. And then I, I watch it. See, we just watched it recently because my husband had never seen Poltergeist. Still hurts my feelings. Or Exorcist. We watched both of those recently because he had not seen either one. I yeah. think he preferred Poltergeist, though. Yeah, we just rewatched The Exorcist recently, but it was like a super extended version that I didn't remember half of what was going on. I'm like, wow, this is really long. Yeah. <laughs> but it has to have the spider walker. It's not worth it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, but he just didn't think it was that scary, I guess you could say. But back in the day, that was like super scary to everybody. I don't know. But he didn't think it was that scary. But he, he really liked Poltergeist. But he didn't like Exorcist as much as, as Poltergeist. So, yeah. Well, the next one, next Poltergeist we're going to talk about is the Battersea Poltergeist. And this one hasn't been made into a movie. But in reading about this story, it turns out that Blumhouse has bought rights to this story. Ooh. And I think they're looking at making like a TV series called like Blumhouse's Ghost Stories or something like that. So here's hoping. I, I'm really liking what Blumhouse does with their horror movies. So I'm pumped. I'm done? hopeful. I'm trying to think. Oculus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the same. This dude that made those that stuff and the haunt house Haunting of Hill House and um that other one the other house movie yeah. <laughs> like or series or whatever uh that's the same dude that did midnight mass um mm. he did all of those movies. <laughs> um he did yeah they they did paranormal activity insidious the purge um but I'm talking Legion. like the writer director did yeah um, yeah I'm just saying this is Blumhouse they did get out happy death day split um. Yeah, just uh, a lot of That's these good stuff. Anyway, I guess we need to move on. I guess yeah. I'm reading this part. Sure, go with it. Although I don't know this story, so this ought to be interesting. Yay! Matter I <laughs> barely do either. <laughs> I read it Matter once. Water is pretty gentrified now, full of gastropubs and trendy coffee shops. So it's like um, Portland, <laughs> or what is the? There's like a show. God dang it! What? Is it Portland? No, it's not Portland, is it? There's a show about, like, a hipster place. I can't remember what it's called now. Never mind. <laughs> cool back story, in, Back in... I know, right? This is in the UK. Yeah. Back in 1956, it was a fairly poor working class area. Number 63 Wycliffe Road was home to the Hitchings family. Dad Wally was in his 40s, a tall, gaunt man who drove trains on the London Underground. His wife, Kitty, slightly older than him, was a former office clerk, now in a wheelchair due to chronic arthritis. Oh, God, I feel like that's where I'm going. Anyway, I'm like, oh, this uh, this story's already scary to me. I've got yeah. arthritis problems already. Um, <laughs> their daughter, Shirley, was 15, about to start school. Another adolescent. Uh, adolescent. Yeah. Uh about to start art school and was working part-time as a seamstress at a department store, Selfridges. That's an odd name to me, but okay. Yeah. It's surely that the strange activity in the house seemed to focus around and also the media interest. The pictures of her and newspaper articles on the case show a striking girl with dark hair and even darker eyes. The other residents of the house were Wally's mother, Ethel, 
a fiery character known locally as Old Mother Hitchings, her adopted son John, a surveyor in his 20s who Shirley thought of as a brother. I'm confused already. But anyway, their lives were changed forever one night when they were woken by deafening bangings reverberating through the house, shaking the walls and floors. Less than a decade after the end of the Second World War, it recalled memories of living through the Blitz, an intense barrage of noise so loud the neighbors came around to complain, imagining that Wally was hammering or tearing up floorboards in the middle of the night. The racket could be heard out in the street. This was the beginning of a nightmare that would come to dominate the family's lives. The next night, the same thing happened, and again the next. Soon it was a daily occurrence, not just nocturnally, but in broad daylight too. The hitching, sleep-deprived and terrified, called out the police and various surveyors, but no one was able to get to the bottom of where the noises came from. The sounds flitted between that intense banging and a scratching that seemed to come from within the furniture, even from within inside the bed headboard as they tried to sleep. That part sounds, yeah, that sounds scary. <laughs> yeah, no, no thanks. No thanks. Reports of poltergeist hauntings commonly start with noises. Sierra O'Keefe, a psychology professor from Bucks New University who is working on my BBC podcast series about the case, says the argument from some parapsychology theorists is that it's about attention. We're seeing effectively a ghost with a tantrum. <laughs> The word poltergeist is is a is German for noisy ghost, and they are often portrayed as being like supernatural toddlers smashing up rear house in a fit of uh, peak. After the noises, the next stage is almost always objects moving, as if the poltergeist wants to up the stakes and really show what it can do. On this front, the Wycliffe Road case doesn't disappoint. Evelyn Hollow, a Scottish writer and parapsychologist who also features in the series, says, We're talking about a clock floating through the air. We're talking about pots and pans being thrown from a room that nobody was in. Multiple witnesses claim to have seen bed sheets flying off beds, slippers walking around of their own accord, and chairs moving. As time went on, these events became increasingly violent. Rooms are trashed, says Evelyn. The house must have looked like a bloody war zone. It's truly a wild case. Up until this point, the case resembles many other poltergeist hauntings, chilling and unsettling, but following an established pattern. However, it then takes on a truly extraordinary life of its own. Without wanting to give any spoilers, you'll hear spontaneous fires break out, disembodied voices, writing appearing on walls, and even on paper, seemingly letters from a ghost. No thanks. And I just wanted to say, this is, uh, BBC Radio did, like, a like a series or a podcast about that and that's the why it is worded the way it is <laughs> okay um to say any more would give the game away but there's also a fascinating detective story aspect to the case the hitchings nicknamed the poltergeist donald okay and over a port period of months and years they developed a way of commu- communicating with it searching for clues to who or what he was while the newspapers creepily alleged that he was obsessed with Shirley. This bizarre and thrilling story feels equally fascinating whether you believe in ghosts or not. If you do, it represents the best chance I've come across to prove that paranormal phenomena actually exist. And if you're skeptically minded, it becomes an intriguing psychodrama trying to work out what really happened and how humans could have consciously or subconsciously created these strange, seemingly impossible events. I became involved with the story back in 2018 while making a podcast called Haunted, where I interviewed people who believed they had had ghostly encounters. 
One of the contributors told me about a case he thought would interest me. A few months later, I found myself chatting to Shirley Hitchings herself. She's 80 now, and it became quickly apparent that it was not going to fit into a single episode. I became involved with the story. Uh, That's the same paragraph twice. Sorry. Your turn then. For whatever reason. (laughs) Copy and paste error. Um, I I devoured the book that Shirley had co-written with James Clark about her experiences, The Poltergeist Prince of London, and would end up devoting much of the following two years to investigating her case. My new BBC series, The Battersea Poltergeist, is the result. If you asked what convinced me it had the potential to be a series, I could tell you it was the incredible story Shirley told me in our interviews, so rich, complex, and full of twists and turns like a horror movie come to life. I could tell you that and it undoubtedly be true but really the thing that made me become obsessed with telling this story was less tangible it was simply some quality of shirley's voice that sent a shiver down my spine because listening to her i was utterly convinced she was not lying and see i'd like to say like as far as that goes that just kind of to me leads that whole like adolescence being the key that whether it's true or not, maybe Shirley's just creepy. Maybe she's just in tune. <laughs> you know, like, uh, like they said, everything kind of, most people pointed back to Shirley. Yeah, probably true. I lay awake for a long time that night after first chatting to her, my thoughts racing because the idea that what she told me was true seemed the most frightening thing of all. The implications for my life and the way I viewed the world were huge. I hope you'll feel the same frisson I had when you first hear Shirley's voice in the series. So everybody go check that out. Um, The other incredible resource we have for our investigation is a cardboard box. Shirley stored in her attic for many years, full of material about the case and contains her father's diaries entitled living with the poltergeist photographs and newspaper cuttings. And most usefully of all, we have the files of the original investigator, a man named Harold Chibbett, which Shirley rescued from his house after his death. What? Okay. I I guess just after she died, she asked to yeah. get a hold of that. I probably yeah more than likely yeah. Um, Chib, as he liked to be known, has been largely forgotten about by history. You won't find much if you Google him, but he was a respected ghost hunter in the fifties. He's an intriguing character and a, a tax inspector by day who conducted paranormal investigations by night, camping out in the kitchens and living rooms of those terrifyingly ordinary houses trying to make contact with the other side. He'd served in the First World War and perhaps as a result had developed a desire, desperate desire to prove the existence of life after death. He was incredibly well connected within the world of supernatural research. Evelyn Hollow describes him as the Jay Gatsby of ghosts. With a circle of friends and contacts that include Sherlock Holmes creator Sir, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, sci-fi behemoth Arthur C. Clarke, legendary ghost hunter Harry Price, and even the notorious black magician Aleister Crowley. He would end up devoting the rest of his life to trying to help the Hitchings and work out who or what Donald was. Mixing Chibb's case notes with Shirley's own recollections of events has allowed us to bring the 1956 haunting to life in our series through dramatic reconstruction starring Daphne Keene as Shirley and Toby Jones as Tibbet and... Burn Gorman, Alice Lowe, Calvin Demba, Sorsha Cusack, as the rest of the Hitchings family. In this way, we blend Chib's original investigation with my present-day attempt to crack the mysteries of the case with the help of modern experts. Which brings us back to Wycliffe Road, 
where we have traipsed up and down the street several times and even bothered a local postman, I've made a starting startling discovery. Number 63 no longer exists. I knew the original house had been demolished in the 60s, but I expected to find something in its place, a modern-day successor. Instead, it's as if the, the address has been erased, a fitting thing for a ghost story, a disappearing house. I'm pleased it's gone, said Charlie. I don't wouldn't want to go through that again. She gives an involuntary shudder, and I feel another sh- little shiver down my spine. So, yeah, I... I guess I could have cut out some of the like continued story of this, but like, uh, and we'll, I'm sure you'll post some of these pictures, but there's actually photographs of the writings that, that the ghost, the poltergeist did on the wall and like the writing on paper. One says like, surely I come and shit like that. It's, it's creepy. The stuff on the wall is kind of, you know, you can't, and I don't can't read words out of it unless it's a different language. It almost looks like Viva la France or something like that. Um, I thought it looked more like Hebrew or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird, Some but language. But yeah, the the fact that this like you even got like police that see this stuff happening. Um, the fact that this is an area that made it through World War and everything makes you think like it really could be a whole bunch of stuff going on there Um, because it mentions like the blitz and everything like that the fact that it's destroying stuff moving stuff I don't know they don't give a whole lot of detail of of how scary this was but what little they do give sounds pretty freaking horrifying to me (laughs) Still, that whole scratching in the headboards, I'm like, no thanks. Yeah. Scratching from within the furniture. I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like that either. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'd never heard that one. So that's very interesting. And I hope they do make something out of it so that I can see it on the screen. Yeah. That's more exciting. Especially Um, if it's Blumhouse. Yeah. I've always called it Bloom House, but I don't know which one it is, honestly. Yeah, I don't actually know either, but. I just call it whatever I think it is, and then it, and then whenever somebody else says it differently, I'm like, now I'm questioning my whole life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's how I am with everything. Um, okay, so I guess it's time for our end of show stuff, and... Yep the top five and i guess i'm gonna give a shout out this week to fear street series i don't know if you've watched that one yet it's 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 three movies but they're set in different times like one set in 94 and it's all 90s music (laughs) it's great um and then it goes back to i think the 70s um and then it goes back to the 1600s were it's a supposed witch or whatever you know but it, it's the it's not following the same town that's cursed or whatever yeah. um and kind of tracing back what happened and all that stuff but it's really got like the best freaking soundtrack too it's more of like along the lines of like a goosebumps rl stein stuff because i think it is rl stein maybe mm-hmm. um that it's loosely yeah. based on yeah, but uh, it's really well done. It's Netflix, and it's um, we watched 
like two of them in one night. We've liked them that much. Like for instance, you know, there's, um, like the seventies one has a bunch of Bowie in it, I think. Um, and they're at a summer camp or whatever. Um, but it's, it's just, just trust me. It's like the best soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> and we really enjoyed it. And of course, trying to be like we talked about, we've been watching all the Korean horror stuff and, uh, that one's like the best one that we've watched so far. Mm. So those are my recommends. Do you have any? Uh, Nancy and I finished Sex Education season three. Mm. Um, other than that, <laughs> oh, and we finally want, finished Midnight Mass too. So yeah, those are both real good. So I'll put I'll add that. Like and Midnight Mass for like the eighth time. And I can't spell it apparently. Um, but the, basically, this week's top five most hated bands and artists. Uh-huh. Are you ready? Alternate endings. Yep. So if you're not into that, bye now. Bye bye. We still love you though. Yeah. And I gotta say, I actually went somewhere and was social last night. It's been real crazy this weekend. Yeah. Same. I'm tired then, from peopling. And then Nancy yeah. had like eight kids at our house that all stayed the night last night. So then I woke up to more people. Yeah. They didn't leave um, until like three o'clock. So I've met my people quota until Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> then you just meet your food quota. Um, yeah. But then it's like, yeah, I went to a housewarming party and I didn't know the majority of people, but I made a couple of new friends, so that part's cool. But we didn't stay very long. We were like, this is the most peopling we've done in like two years. This is a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's, I that's too much. But I, the host, the, the hostess, I'll say, listens to the podcast. So hi, Suzanne. She Yay. says she's almost caught up now. So eventually she'll hear this. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah most hated bands and artists number five f- for you Limp Biscuit. yeah number five for me is Limp Biscuit. <laughs> we're on the same wavelength here maybe yeah I, I think most I think yeah. most of ours will probably be the same <laughs> maybe we'll see number four for you Dave Matthews band I don't know why like people are like that band's great and i'm just like i don't get it i don't get yeah. it it's just one of those like it's okay but i just don't get it why yeah. there's so many people that like worship dave matthews band i don't understand it yeah i don't I don't entirely get that one either um but number four for me is acdc Ooh. Hate it, i hate it? yeah i hate the dude's voice I don't like most of the songs. They all sound the same to me. I just don't. Yep. No. No thanks. Not just even hearing your impersonation of it made my butthole hurt a little bit. Wow. (laughs) Number three for you. Matchbox 20. (gasps) No. I love. I love. I love Matchbox 20 in like a really nostalgic way. But and I I really really liked Rob Thomas. And his voice, and I think it's 
my love for them in particular that made me hate a lot of the other stuff that came out around that time. I'm like, you're all just Matchbox 20 and you're not Rob Thomas with your beautiful eyeliner. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I just don't, I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. Number three for me is Creed. <laughs> Which kind of goes along with that because like Matchbox 20, like I felt like Creed and like I said, a lot of those early 2000s, late 90s, like rock bands all kind of heard their voice and I fucking hate it. Because my number two is Creed. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yay. This is an easy list this week. Number two for me is Avril Lavigne. Ooh, I almost put her on the list. I almost did. I just, I I could never get behind her weird pop punkiness, and I just felt like she was a character. Yeah. Like, I felt like that I just wasn't that. her. And it annoyed me because a lot of people compared me to her in high school because I was, I was already wearing plaid pants and ties and stuff, and then she came out, and I'm like, God damn it. Like... <laughs> I am not copying Avril Lavigne. I am not. I was doing this first. She's copying me. Um, I don't know. I don't like her voice. I don't really like her music. I think she's stupid. Yeah, that too. You know. Number one for you, Nickelback. Yeah, number one for me is Nickelback, which is funny. The fact that Avril Lavigne married Chad Kroger of Nickelback there for a while. So they're being I find that, together. Yeah, I find that hilarious. Um, what's your honorable mentions? I only did one, and it's Metallica. And mm. here's why. I like old Metallica music. Like, Black Album Previous, Genius, right? And there's even a few songs after that that I'll tolerate. But, like, the whole Napster thing just made me so fucking mad. Like, I just got to the point where I'm like, don't even talk about Metallica. <laughs> like, just don't. <laughs> I don't know why I just had a grudge against them ever since the Napster thing and their quotes about it and stuff. Like, I just, I'm like, no, nah, I hate you now. Go away. So that's it. What Do you have any honorable mentions? Yeah. Um, I have Hinder. Particularly that Lips of an Angel song. It really is so cringy to me. Lips on angel, round your heart. I just any of those like that. <laughs> this so then, like about fifty different songs from. That. I know <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but that one in particular is like the worst one to me. And then I have like three do- three doors down. Again, you're kind of seeing all of <laughs> most of the things I hate. You're gonna offend all the Mississippi people for three doors. I'm so down. sorry, uh, Kid Rock. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see. And that. then Uncle Cracker. I don't like that guy either. Um, I hate that like country rock crossover kind of thing. Like I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> I think that like goes. There's like that um, freaking like Florida Georgia line or whatever out to. But any of those weird like combinations of like southerny voices and rock, I don't like it. <laughs> or, or the country rap, <laughs> like yeah, that, no, that kind of none of that things. No. Yeah, I agree with you on that. All right. But, um, that's it. That's my list. That's mine too. Yay. Let's get on up. Out. All right. See y'all next part time two. for part two of the Poltergeists. The end. <laughs>